The following sermon was delivered by Pastor Frank Griffith in the Sunday morning service at Calvary Community Church in Brentwood, California. You'll find more information at calvarytruth.org. 20 verses of Luke 2. There's a line in there, the angels proclaim that they bring good news of great joy. The good news is gospel. The gospel is good news of what God has done. It isn't some good advice that you should do. It's what God has done. And what God's calling us to do is to believe what he has done and rest our hope and and confidence completely in what what he's done through Christ Jesus. It's good news. And uh, this is why Christians enjoy Christmas. This is why we have children sing on Christmas time because it's something we want embedded in their heart that what God did in sending his son into the world is the beginning of God's, the fulfillment of God's great promise to us. In the first uh, chapter of the Bible, third chapter of the Bible, I'm sorry, the first book in the Bible, the third chapter, 15th verse, we have God's great promise. And that great promise is, and this was after the fall, after Adam and Eve had sinned and plunged the entire race into alienation from God, that when God came and brought a word of judgment on Adam and Eve and Satan, when he was talking to Satan, he gave us this good news. This is sometimes referred to as the proto-euangelion, or the, the first gospel. This is the first proclamation of the gospel. And that first proclamation of the gospel is when God says to Satan, the seed of the woman will bruise your head. And that expression, bruise his head, is a reference to a mighty victory, that God has accomplished a mighty victory through Christ in order to bring us back into a right relationship with him. We're told in Scripture that God created us for eternal life. In fact, Jesus uh, describes eternal life for us in John 17, and he says that the purpose of eternal life is that we could know God and know his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is what Christmas is really all about. It's the celebration of this first giant step of God in fulfilling his glorious promise to us. Um, As you know, the Bible, the New Testament, which we are familiar with, the New Testament begins with four Gospels. And these four Gospels tell the story of Jesus. They tell about his birth, his life, his death, his resurrection, and the promise of his return. What I want to do this morning is just spend a few minutes talking about why the, the, the Christmas is gospel to us. It's good news. It's wonderful news. And uh, it really is wrapped up in these four words. Let me put these up so I won't have to look around again. First of all, revelation. Secondly, redemption. Third, resurrection. And finally, return. That is the promise of his return. That's what Christmas is all about. Now, I know we all love the gifts and the presents and so forth and all the lights and the Christmas tree and all those things, but what Christmas is really about is Christ. It's about God sending his son into the world to bring us out of this state of alienation from him and bring us into a relationship with him as our father. And so this is what the Bible's about. It's what the New Testament's about. And Christmas is a celebration of this first glorious step that God took in bringing reconciliation, bringing us back into a right relationship with him. Um, This idea of, of the seed of the woman, which is a reference to Jesus Christ, we learn that through reading the Bible. 
as you read on after Genesis 3.15, you find out that the seed of the woman is the seed of Abraham. The seed of Abraham is the seed of David and so forth until we come to the New Testament. And here is this Christmas cry of good news that has come to us, that God has sent his son into the world to die for us and to redeem us and to bring us back into a right relationship with God. In fact, the result of this insurrection that took place in the Garden of Eden was that we became those who fear, through the fear of death, were subject to slavery all of our lives. And it's really, it's not until you experience salvation, that is faith in Christ and the freedom that he gives you, that you understand in what, in what slavery you were in before you believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. Because he has set us free and he's brought us into this wonderful, glorious relationship for which we were created. So what I want to do is just talk about these four things very briefly. Very briefly. Uh, I'm not going to keep you here all day. I know somebody, I really appreciate all you grandparents coming to see your grandkids. I got to see my great-grandkids and my granddaughter up there. And that's a great treat, isn't it? To see them utter with their mouths, to use their mouths to glorify God is a wonderful, wonderful thing. And uh, we appreciate that. Um, First of all, Revelation. Christmas is about Revelation. We're told in John chapter 1, verses 4 and 5, in him, that is in Christ, was life, and this life was the light of men. In other words, what Jesus did when he came into the world, he showed us who God is. We're told in the book of Hebrews, for example, that even though God spoke to his people before in the Old Testament through prophets on many occasions, many different ways, in these last days, the days we live in, he has spoken to us in such a one as a son. If you want somebody to know you, I can tell you how the best way to do that is send your son to represent you, and they'll know what you're really like. And this is what God did. He sent his son into the world so that we can know who he is. Jesus revealed God to us. There's something else that goes along with that, by the way. This is the reason that John says a lot of people stayed away from Jesus. It's that when the light of the glory of God shines on us through the person of Christ, not only do we see who God is, we see who we are. And sometimes we want to hide from that revelation. We can see the truth about ourselves and how needy we are, how desperately we need this life that God is offering us through Christ. And so what happened was when Jesus came, he was the light, and he manifested the life of of the God of the universe, our creator. He manifested who God really is. If you want to know who God is, read the New Testament and find out who Jesus is, because Jesus came into the world to reveal his Father so that we could come to know who his father is. That is who the God and father of the Lord Jesus Christ really is. is. And so he is the light that shines in darkness. And it says that the darkness could not comprehend it. That word comprehend means it couldn't put it out. When you get close to Jesus Christ, you get close to who God really is. You come to understand who he is. In fact, John says that many people stayed away from Jesus because the closer they got to him, the more they saw who they were and what they were. Uh, John Calvin wrote a, a, a discipleship manual. It's called Calvin's Institutes. And in this book, at the very first chapter, what he talks about is this. When you come to know God, you come to know yourself. You come to see who you really are and who God really is. And this is what he has done for us. He has brought revelation of the Father to us. We can come to know who God is. And he revealed the kingdom of God. 
In fact, in the kingdom of God that Jesus revealed, he tells us things like the greatest in the kingdom of God is the servant of all. If you want to be great in the kingdom, learn to be the servant of all. That's why it's called an upside-down kingdom. If you want to be effective, you have to recognize your inadequacy. It's a, it's a matter of dependence upon the living Christ. This is what brings you into the kingdom of God is faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, confidence in him, not confidence in yourself, but confidence in the living Christ. In order to gain your life, Jesus says you have to lose your life. So you can see this is really an upside-down kingdom, but the Lord Jesus Christ came into the world to show us what the kingdom of God is really like. The second word is redemption. In the Gospel of Mark, the second of the four Gospels in the New Testament, chapter 10, verse 45, it says, even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Think about that for a second. The Lord Jesus Christ came into the world. He didn't come to be served. He came to serve and to become a ransom for us. What's a ransom? Well, a ransom is the payment of a price to set a slave free. Now, that doesn't have, that we, don't, we don't think of it in those terms because there's no slavery in our culture, at least not the kind that was in the New Testament. The time of the New Testament was written, over half the population of the Roman Empire were slaves. Not the kind of slaves that were chained or that was forced labor. There were normal people within the culture who did not have freedom. They were slaves. They were owned by somebody. It might be a doctor, a lawyer, or whatever, but you still did not have your freedom. And the only way you could get your freedom is if somebody was willing to pay the price, the ransom price for your freedom. And so Jesus says he came to be the ransom for many, to give his life as a ransom, to set us free from the slavery to sin. That's redemption, a ransom that pays the fee to set you free from slavery, from slavery to yourself and to sin. We're told that the nature of sin is, is, the, is this. It is living for yourself. It is selfishness. Sin is a rebellion against God because I don't want to do what God wants me to do. I want to do what I want to do. I want to lavish all of my labor upon myself. And what Jesus came to do is show us the glory of laying down our lives for others. And so he tells his disciples, if you want to be great in the kingdom, you have to be the servant of others. That's what he did. And that's what he showed us. He showed us that eternal life is a life that's not centered in ourselves, but in the God who created us and who's loved us and who sent his son to redeem us. The next word is resurrection. In Romans chapter 1, verse 4, it says that when God raised Jesus from the dead, he was declaring him to be the Son of God with power through the resurrection. This is really, there's something in the scriptures that confuses people sometimes, and that is, there's two titles for Jesus. The one he used the most was Son of Man, and the other one is Son of God. And so a lot of people think, well, the Son of God is a, is a title of his deity, that he is God, and Son of Man is a title of his humanity, that he's a real human being, but that's just backwards. Actually, Son of God is a title of a king. This is what always happened when a man became the king of Israel. 
that he was called, he was referred to as the son of God. He was in a place of authority. He was ruling for God. But the word son of man, which appears in Daniel chapter 7, and I know a lot of you guys are prophecy nuts and you like to read all the prophetic eschatological sections of scripture. In Daniel chapter 7, one of those chapters that talks about end times, it talks about the son of man who comes before the father and receives the power to exercise dominion over the whole earth forever. In fact, over the whole creation forever. The word son of man is a term of deity, that he has absolute dominion. He is king. He's Lord. And the Bible tells us that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. This is what the Father wants from us. He wants us to come to our senses and come to the place where we bow the knee and acknowledge that Jesus, his son, is the king of glory and that we live our lives in obedience to him. We put our faith and trust in him, and he gives us this glorious gift of bringing us back into a right relationship with the Father. This is what Christmas is all about. It's about God's plan and purpose and work of bringing alienated people back into a right relationship with him through faith in his son. It's good news. It's not good advice. It's not, you know, if you would live like this, then everything would be fine. It's this is what God has done for you. That's what the gospel is. God sent his son into the world. And he took your place under the judgment of God and took the full blow of God's judgment against your sin. And when you put your trust in him, that sin is removed and you are brought into a right relationship with a living God. So Christmas is a time... It's, a, it's the best time in the world to come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and experience the gift of eternal life and of salvation. There's no gift given in this world that can compare. It's the greatest gift of all. When God gives us the very life of his own son into our hearts that we would have eternal life, that we could know God and be in his presence for all eternity. And so this idea of his resurrection is the proof that he truly is deity. And he's the one who has the power and the value to pay for your sins. Now, I might tell you, hey, I'd like to pay for your sins to set you free from the bondage that you're in. I would like to die for you so that you could be set free. That would mean nothing because my life does not have that value. But what Christmas is about is the fact that the Lord Jesus Christ came into the world to lay down the lie, his life, the life of the eternal Son of God, the life of the Son of Man, the one who's going to rule for all eternity. He laid down his life for you. And you know those movies that you probably have seen, like The Passion of Christ, where you see the suffering of Jesus, and it's so wretched. I mean, people hate to watch those kind of things because it's so overwhelming. And you know what? It was worse than that. And the reason it was worse than that was that what Jesus was experiencing when he stood in your place and he was put on a cross, he was beaten beyond imagination and hung on a cross. It was to show you, the depth of his suffering was to show you how much he loves you and what he was willing to do for you. To take your place and suffer the full blow of the judgment of God so that you could come to have the same kind of relationship with the Father as he has, which is an eternal life. 
The last thing that Christmas is about is about the promise of his return. Listen to this. This is Hebrews 9.28. So Christ also, having been offered once, once and for all, to bear the sins of many, all those who would believe upon him. So Christ also, having offered, been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time for salvation without reference to sin to those who eagerly await him. He's going to usher us into the very presence of God. The older I get, the more I really want to be alive when Jesus comes. Wouldn't it be great to go up into the presence of God by Jesus coming and catching his people up and bringing us into the very presence of God, ushering us into the presence of God? That'd be a wonderful thing. Went to a a funeral this past week of an old, old friend. And uh, it was wonderful to hear people talk about him and about his faith in Christ and about his life, how it manifested his love for Christ, the way he was willing to lay down his life and suffer for others and love others. That's what happens to Christians. They become people like the Savior. He begins to influence our lives. And so we await his coming. We look forward to it. And one of the things we're told is when he comes, he's gonna, the, the final step of our transformation is going to take place. When we see him, we'll be like him. John says this in his little epistle. He says, what, what foreign kind of love is this that we should be called the children of God? When you become a believer, you become a child of God. That doesn't just mean you're a creature created in the image of God. It means that you've been brought into the family and he's your father. In fact, he even gives you the Holy Spirit to assure your heart that you are a child of God. But John says... What foreign kind of love is this that God would, we would be made the children of God, and we are. But then he says this, but it does not yet appear what we shall be, but when we see him, we'll be like him. That's going to be quite a transformation, don't you think? I think in my life, it's going to be the biggest transformation I could ever imagine, that I could become like Christ by seeing him. And in fact, 2 Corinthians tells us that that's exactly what happens when a person comes to faith in Jesus, that the Holy Spirit opens their eyes to the glory of Christ and they put their trust in him and they come to be a child of God by faith. This is what God offers you today. There's no gift that anybody could ever give you that could possibly, possibly be as good as this gift. But this is the gift that God offers you today. In fact, you're sitting here in the midst of a bunch of people who've rested their faith in Christ. And if you don't know Christ, what the Father is inviting you to do is to put your trust in him right now. The one who was sent into the world to stand in the place of sinners like us. To completely fulfill the righteousness of God in our stead. And then to be brought by faith in him into a living relationship with Christ. Wouldn't it be something, you know, Christmas is a week away, right? I think it's a week and a day away. Wouldn't it be something if this was the first Christmas in your life as a believer, as someone who's become a child of God, a son or daughter of God, and you could celebrate this wonderful time that's not just great to see your kids and your grandkids and the joy of them receiving gifts, but instead you could rejoice in the greatest gift that could ever be given, and that's eternal life to be brought into the family of God and made a child of God. That's what I pray for you. If you don't know Christ today, 
I invite you to believe upon him. If you need to talk to somebody about it, you, you want to have some questions, if, some, if there's something about it that's just too mysterious for you, please talk to us. Please ask us because we would love to see you come to rest your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Christmas is good news for Christians because we've come to see it as a celebration of this first giant step that God has taken to fulfill his big promise, to remove this alienation that we have lived with for so long. The birth of Jesus over 2,000 years ago is described in Scripture as the high point of the ages. That's the way it's described in Hebrews 9.26. The greatest event in all of history was when Jesus came to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself so that you could enter into a relationship with him and have your sins forgiven and be given eternal life. I hope you receive that if you don't have it. I hope this Christmas will be the first Christmas in which you can celebrate the glorious coming of the Son of God on your behalf because you have come to rest your faith in him. And uh, I would like to pray for you if I could, if you'd bow your heads with me, please. Um, Our Father, thank you so much for sending your Son. We were so lost and so far from you. We uh, at times had the awareness that we were headed for a day of judgment and that we were not fit to stand before you in that judgment. And now you tell us that because of your son, we can receive forgiveness. We can be made whole and complete and righteous in your eyes. So Father, I pray that you would speak to every heart here. Father, I pray if there's anyone here who's not yet rested their faith, in Christ, that you would open their eyes to the glory of Christ. And for the rest of us who know Christ, I pray that you'd give us opportunity this season to talk to others, to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with them, to, be, to act as you have called us to, as ambassadors of Jesus Christ. May we tell people the truth about who he is. Thank you so much for this celebration of the coming of Christ into the world. We thank you that's far greater than we ever imagined until you opened our eyes and let us see. So, Father, we, uh, we commit ourselves to you now, and we pray that you would use us for your glory, that this would be a glorious time in our lives when we see uh, our, the people we love turn to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and come to have eternal life. It's better than any gift any person could ever give us. We thank you for it. We rejoice in it. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Philip once asked Jesus, he said, Philip was one of the disciples. I'm going to stop right now. But he, he asked Jesus, show us the Father and it'll be enough. If you just show us the Father. You know, it's kind of like maybe Jesus could pull out his iPhone and say, here, here's the Father. And you know what Jesus said to him? He says, Philip, have I been so long with you? You don't understand that if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And that's what Christ offers you. He offers you a relationship with the God of the universe simply by putting your faith and trust in him. So I I pray that this would be a season, this would be the season that God would open your eyes and draw you to himself and for you to receive this glorious gift. Thank you. Respond to this message or learn more. Please visit calvarytruth.org.